Welcome to the NPS MedicineWise podcast, helping health professionals stay up to date with the latest news and evidence about medicines and medical tests. Hello, my name is Jill Thistlethwaite, and I'm a GP and medical advisor at NPS MedicineWise. For this episode of the NPS MedicineWise podcast, from the Health Products Regulation Group, including the TGA at the Australian Government Department of Health, I'd like to welcome Deputy Secretary Adjunct Professor John Skerritt, and joining him, Professor Nick Spar, who is Executive Dean of the Health Sciences and Medicine Faculty at Bond University, and also Chair of the RACGP Expert Advisory Group, Smoking Cessation Clinical Practice Guidelines. Today's episode is the second of two special episodes on upcoming scheduling changes for nicotine vaping products. In the first episode, which was hosted by MPS Medicine Wise CEO Steve Morris a couple of weeks ago, John Skerritt was joined by Jenny Francis, also from the TGA, and they discussed the new prescribing process for nicotine vaping products that is coming into effect from the 1st of October this year, 2021. They also discussed why regulation is being changed and which products are being affected. In addition, they talked about what prescribers need to do to prepare for this change. So, John, for those who haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, could you give us a top level recap of what the changes will entail? Well, certainly. So, uh, nicotine containing e-cigarettes are already... uh, unable to be sold within Australian states and territories, and possession is actually illegal everywhere except for South Australia. But there's some ambiguity about individuals who report them, who import them, I should say, for for recreational use. And what we really want to achieve is uh, if uh, the GP, who is an absolutely central partner with an individual who, who is interested in giving up smoking, if an individual uh, and their GP believe that uh, e-cigarettes can contribute to smoking, we want to formalise this requirement that that be done under medical supervision. And we also want to close down this loophole such that uh, an increasing number of young people, in particular teenagers and school children, uh, are accessing vaping. We don't want a new generation of uh, nicotine-dependent adolescents, uh, especially given Australia in recent years, has had such uh, tremendous success in reducing adolescent smoking numbers. So from the 1st of October, it will be unequivocal that uh, in order to import or uh, have access to nicotine-containing e-cigarettes, it will be a prescription medicine. You'll require a prescription from your doctor, normally a GP, and it will be dispensed either by an online or physical pharmacist. Thank you. I think that's, that makes things a lot simpler for people. Um, so, Nick, thinking about what GPs need to know at a top level about the scheduling change as they are going to have some extra work to do, um, is there anything else you'd like to add to what John has just told us? Yes, thanks. Uh, I think there's um, GPs need to understand, uh, I, I guess, several things, one of which is that these are not approved medicines um, in the sense that we usually prescribe approved medicines. So none of, no nicotine vaping product has been through a full assessment as a medicine for efficacy, safety, all of those things. So 
their unapproved products, which are getting a uh, but are, are going to be available on prescription. So that that is a, an unusual situation, and uh, and I think Australia's approach actually to this is unique around the world. Um, so it's going to be an interesting um, journey that we're going on. So there are a number of uncertainties uh, in that, and you know the evidence on nicotine um, containing e-cigarettes is still very much emerging. We don't know a lot about their long-term safety, but we know very little about their long-term safety. Uh, and though there is some evidence of efficacy for supporting smoking cessation, and the RACGP guideline, which I chaired, has highlighted that, um, there is still a need, definitely a need for more research on, on, on how, you know, how effective are they and are there particular subgroups that they work particularly well for. Uh, so there's that, well, there's all of that. And then there's also understanding the pathways by which you could write a prescription if you're a GP who chooses to become involved in prescribing nicotine e-cigarettes. And I don't know whether John might want to describe those, but, but it's, there are several pathways to, to writing a prescription. So for GPs, do you see this as um, a way of GPs helping patients to quit smoking for those who've been trying to do that? Is this, a, is this a pathway that can help in that process? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think fundamentally nicotine-containing e-cigarettes are another form of nicotine replacement. Um, you know, we've had patches and gum and lozenge and other things for a long time, and there's lots of evidence about their efficacy and safety. Um, but one of the things we know about nicotine replacement is that um, its effect is modest. You know, you might get an increase of... Uh, you know, 15 or 20 percent in quit rates a year later compared to no pharmacotherapy, and that's with psychosocial support as well, behavioural support as well. But none of our nicotine, uh, our smoking cessation treatments are, are wonderfully effective. You know, they all help. Uh, and the, the thing that's the advantage of nicotine containing e-cigarettes is people seem to keep using them for longer, um, uh, and that's also one of their challenges as well because uh, long-term use could be a problem. But uh, where with nicotine gum or patch, people tend to stop using them after a few weeks and it's a challenge for doctors to encourage them to use them for long enough to get the full benefit. People seem to um, use nicotine e-cigarettes longer and that may be to do with the amount of nicotine that's delivered or it may be due to their somewhat more closely mimicking the sensations of smoking um, combustible tobacco a range of things, but but that is that is a feature of of nicotine e-cigarettes. Um, but it raises the issue or concern about long-term use, uh, and there's also concern about dual use. That's where people continue to smoke occasionally, but use nicotine e-cigarettes as well, uh, and that's not um, going to have the health benefits. Uh, of of um, cessation of inhaled to, uh, tobacco. There's quite a lot to think about uh, as a GP if you're planning to get involved in uh, prescribing. Um, so, John, the, the standard for the vaping, the nicotine vaping products and the draft guidance to help explain the requirements was recently published. What do GPs need to know from the standard? Well, uh Nick is quite right that uh, these are not approved medicines, although we have had several companies engage in discussions with us to potentially bring products to the market, but that will 
likely be during 2022 that products will actually be on the market. We do have 150,000 prescriptions written in Australia every year for uh, medicines that are not approved. Now, not approved means just that, but there are really, I guess, two or more safeguards, one of which is the doctor having to prescribe these products. The second being that uh, these products do have to meet certain quality standards, and we can talk about them, uh, those quality standards uh, in a minute. It is true that, uh, and we certainly don't want this to be a situation where people just add e-cigarettes to their smoking or that they take e-cigarettes on for years at a time. And uh, this is why the supervision of the GP is so important. But, uh, I imagine that any GP having a discussion with a patient about smoking cessation will not necessarily jump straight to uh, e-cigarettes. They may say, well, try these behavioural changes, try a gum first of all. Uh, or if you do have e-cigarettes, I'm going to put you on for two or three months and see how you go and monitor your your compliance. Uh, there are ways to tell if people have been smoking apart from smelling their breath. So I don't think many GPs would keep on prescribing for years at a time. Uh, and, and this is why the involvement of the GP is so important. Now, mm -hmm. I can go on and talk a little bit about the quality standards, if, if you wish. Oh, just a, just a, a brief summary would be helpful. Yeah, so uh, we consulted publicly, and, you, and as you can imagine, this is an area where there's uh, many stakeholders and twice as many different opinions. Uh, we recognised that it was important for these products to have a range of standards, but uh, there was really two countervailing things that were also always present in our mind. The first was that these are products for which a GP will prescribe, and so the GP holds the pen, for example, as far as you know whether or not a patient should have a, a menthol-flavoured version or not. Uh, and the GP is a gatekeeper also as far as strength and other things they put on the prescription. The second thing is that uh, it was important also to enable that there be products available for Australia from the 1st of October. We are such a small market that there will be very few companies that would manufacture locally, specifically just for the Australian market. And so products that were that met the quality standards and came from countries such as the US or the UK or, or Germany, for example, uh, we, we didn't want to put up unnecessary barriers providing they met the quality standards. So that was the, the, the thing we had to balance between being excessively prescriptive in the quality standards. Now, just to summarise what the quality, where we landed with the quality standards, is uh, that uh, all ingredients have to be listed. And that's particularly important because there are some ingredients uh, that aren't appropriate to be in these products because of risks to safety. On the other hand, we have not, despite some clinical and other groups uh, encouraging it, we have not said that flavours will be because we believe that that should be a discussion between the GP and the individuals. You might have an individual who says, look, I really want to give this a go, but I just can't stand the taste that leaves my mouth, but I have a, a mint-flavoured one. And again, that should be up to the GP to decide, uh, not, not the, the deft hand of government. The nicotine concentrations have to be stated so that uh, in, in a consistent way so that it's clear what people are getting. Now, the evidence uh, from countries like New Zealand is that if you're a three-pack-a-day smoker, you do need either nicotine salt products or a higher concentration to help you uh, potentially see smoking than, say, an occasional smoker who wants to drive a 
We've required warning statements such as keep out of a reach of children and child, child resistance uh, packaging. And also, we are not allowing active ingredients other than nicotine. We didn't want this to be, for example, a way where there could be cannabis products used up with the nicotine. And finally, we're limiting the concentration of nicotine to 100 milligrams per mil. Now, that still enables people to uh, have a range of concentrations available to them, but the rather dangerous practice of taking almost pure nicotine and mixing it up on your kitchen table uh, will not be able to be done if there's an upper concentration limit. So there's some of the considerations in this new standard that we do believe that enables quality products uh, that are already on the market globally to be imported into Australia and dispensed under a pharmacist's prescription and prescribed, sorry, dispensed under a doctor's prescription by a pharmacist. But also it, it limits some of the questionable products coming into the country and being uh, prescribed and dispensed. Thank you. So it, it, it does sound quite complex, but I'm sure if, if people read the guidelines and follow it through, um, and we have some resources available on the MPS Medicine website as well to help elucidate the pathway. Um, it's, it's just getting used to this as a change, uh, obviously. And Nick, um, could you give us some um, information about the RACGP smoking secession guideline update? Uh, which presumably includes some information about these changes as well. Yes, well, we're just starting work on that. I mean, we have a recommendation around nicotine e-cigarettes in our current guideline, which is available through the college website. And uh, as John mentioned earlier, the way that w the college thinks it's appropriate to position nicotine e-cigarettes is as a second-line option particularly for people who may have tried uh, established therapies uh, that we, you know, nicotine uh, uh, replacement of some kind or varenicline or bupropion and not succeeded in quitting. And there are quite a number of people who would fall into that category. This is another option after an evidence-informed discussion about the uncertainties, which I mentioned earlier about long-term safety uh, and the concerns about dual use and extended use uh, uh, etc., and understanding also the legalities that, as John mentioned, about needing a prescription. So that's already there, um, but there's obviously quite a lot of practical guidance which is needed, which John's already alluded to about you know what would be the uh, the type of uh, nicotine, whether it's nicotine uh, base or whether it's nicotine salts, and there's uh, and there's issues if once nicotine base gets above a certain concentration, it's quite irritant to the respiratory tract or the nasopharynx or the pharynx rather. Um, so there's there's sort of dosage guidelines. There's also um, you know what about um, use in combination with other smoking cessation medicines that already happens in the UK apparently in some instances. Uh, what about use in um, particular populations such as those with respiratory disease or with cardiovascular disease? Uh, what about in pregnancy uh, or, or breastfeeding? So, you know, there's a lot to think about. Uh, and um, and also I think GPs need to understand the pathways, you know, whether it's the accredited prescriber route or the special access scheme or the personal importation route, which, and John may want to comment on this, I understand remains an option. Um, and, and understanding also uh, what you know, what the standards cover and what they do not cover, 
in terms of um, you know uh, the the specifications of the of the what products are uh, meet the standard. So there's a lot a lot to know. I don't want to overcomplicate it, but it actually is um, quite a um, uh, a lot of information for GPs to come to terms with in a fairly short period of time and make an assessment whether they're comfortable to become to prescribe um, this as an option for their patients. And there's also the issue as as you know this is aimed at supporting uh, a further option to help people stop smoking, which is great. Um, uh, and we definitely want to get people off combustible tobacco. I mean, that's, you know, the harms of that are very well known and are uh, very serious. But there's also the current vapors uh, and, and how does this affect them as well. Uh, and, you know, you see different estimates, but there's something around 400,000 current vapors in Australia. Uh, and then there's the issue of making sure that um, this doesn't, and it's, of course, it's the aim. Uh, encourage non-smokers, including young people, to to take up use of nicotine, um, and maybe that could be a pathway to, to combustible tobacco in the long term. And I know that's one of the major reasons for this approach is to try to minimise the risk of that. Which is which is a, a really good aim, um, obviously. Um, so you, the the guidelines are available. The new guidelines are available on the RACGP website, and the link um, is in the information about the pod, podcast. Your, your um, new guidelines aren't done yet. The current okay. guidelines are available, Sorry. but we're we're, yeah. we're starting work on a on a module, particularly around all those issues I mentioned, and and that will be available before the first of October. Um, but um, there's a lot of work to do, as I mentioned, to um, look at the experience from overseas and the literature and come up with, we hope, what will be practical advice for GPs. But, you know, the, 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 the broad statements around where they fit in are already there in the current guidelines. Okay, yeah. And, that, and when the new guidelines are available, that will be advertised to GPs? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, so uh, just as we come towards the end, um, could both of you give some um, idea about where we can find out more information? Uh, I've mentioned a few of the resources available, but the, the, some of the, the, the very specific things that you think GP should access. Well, well, the RACGP will have some very useful and is further developing, as Nick said, some very useful information. And uh, there is some overseas experience, for example, in New Zealand to draw on, on smoking cessation. Of course, uh, we're all, we don't want this to be a pathway to uh, people taking up nicotine. And I think uh, as for any area of prescribing, this is a, will be a key area of responsible prescribing. And I know that one of the areas that we're also talking with the medical defence organisations is the issue of pressure on GPs by patients to write them prescriptions, especially the GP might have a strong suspicion that the purpose isn't really for smoking cessation. And so there's quite a broad group of people in the medical area who need to be aware and engaged, uh, further than just prescribers, dispensers and regulators. And so the range of discussions is quite broad. There's also work going on now, the standards in place uh, uh, with uh, the pharmaceutical supply chains, because uh, we do want quality products that have been, that, for example, have certificates of analysis and so forth to come through the usual pharmacy supply chains. Uh, 
So there's a lot of work to be done. As far as sources of information, we expect there'll be many. So uh, apart from the RACGP, which will be tremendously useful, we also, on our department's website and on the CGA website, have a single place where, for example, information about prescribing is available. We're keen for as many GPs as possible become authorised prescribers because it's a very simple way they can just, uh, their practice can just fill in a form and all it has to say is uh, to become an authorised for prescribing nicotine for smoking cessation and provide the practice details and their after details. So uh, we're supporting all that, but again, there are other activities, including through NPS and uh, and a range of other organisations. And, and the general communication to the general public is another thing that we will step up in the coming months, uh, including through social media and other forms of awareness raising. Mm-hmm. And Nick, any concluding remarks? Yeah, look, I, I, I think, um, as John said, there's a lot to, still to be done ahead of this. And I think the public understanding this uh, particularly people who currently uh, use nicotine vaping products uh, is going to be quite important for how how it goes. Uh, and I think also, as we said, GPs understanding those pathways, including the authorised prescriber pathway and the implications of using that pathway versus the personal importation pathway, because that makes quite a difference to what product they might access. And I think understanding those things is, is a challenge. I mean, I think um, we've shown that with medicinal cannabis that, you know, people can uh, learn new pathways. Um, and so that's a kind of a model for, in a way, how these sorts of things can work. Um, but um, I, I do think there's a, there's a lot left to be done in the months leading up and after uh, October. Uh, and um, there's, there's also discussion about a an MBS item as well, which we haven't touched on today, and people will need to understand that as well. So obviously people need to be aware of the changes and there will be further information available as we lead into October. So I'd like to thank you both uh, for joining me today and and to our listeners. Um, And if there is anyone who'd like to have a look at some of the information we've discussed today, the links, resources and more can be found in the podcast notes. So thank you to everybody. For more information about the safe and wise use of medicines, visit the NPS MedicineWise website at nps.org.au.